Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Does the Holy Spirit have the power to fire us up or to burn down the house? Today we celebrate Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came with power to inaugurate Christ's church. Join us for the message, The Spirit of Truth. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Does the Holy Spirit have the power to fire us up or to burn down the house? Well, we'll see. Today is Pentecost Sunday and we are celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit with power to inaugurate the birth of the church. So join us for our message, then the spirit of truth. It is also Pride Sunday, uh, which happens to fall on Pentecost this year, which I think is a wonderful coincidence. And this is a Sunday where we celebrate the full inclusion of all of God's children, including the LGBTQ community, into the community of faith. Doing a little bit of scriptural gymnastics this morning throughout the 14th chapter of John, beginning in verse 18. I will not leave you orphaned. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. From the second act of ch uh, chapter of Acts, beginning in first verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. As the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last day it will be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, and we once again, we visit the story of Pentecost and the birthday of the church as it is found in the book of Acts. Today, we commemorate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' disciples in the, fa- in the form of flame and wind, but there have been those in the past who have tried to top the Holy Spirit. In the 16th century, the Italian noble Lorenzo Medici was known for producing these grand spectacles. And so on one Pentecost Sunday, he attempted to stage a recreation of Pentecost, complete with, at least by 16th century standards, state-of-the-art special effects. And this included the use of real fire. And it was quite a spectacle. The set caught fire. The actor's clothes caught fire. The church caught fire. All the surrounding buildings caught fire. And the church and these buildings were burned to the ground. I thought about including some pyrotechnics in today's service, but I was thinking, we just got the building back from a flooding. (laughs) So I I thought other than just our lighted candles, that should be it for pyrotechnics for us. Well, Pentecost was one of the three major Jewish festivals that was held each year in Jerusalem. And the actual word Pentecost means 50, and the festival of Pentecost was always held 50 days after Passover. And it's also called the Feast of Weeks. Now, it commemorates the first harvest of the season, but it also commemorates the renewal of the covenant between God and the people of Israel. And it also became, over the years, associated with the giving of the law to Moses there on Mount Sinai. Well, Jews and Gentiles from all over the world lived in Jerusalem, but like the Passover, the city had swelled with Jews because of this special celebration of Pentecost. So there had been a large number of Jews there in the city at that time. And Jesus' disciples, who numbered about 120 by this time, they were all gathered in one room. Now tradition tells us that where they were gathered was the same upper room in which they had shared the Last Supper with Jesus. And tradition also tells us that this room may have been part of the home that was owned by a woman named Mary and her son, John Mark. And again, according to tradition, John Mark became the personal assistant to the Apostle Peter and later wrote the gospel according to Mark, based upon the preaching of Peter. Well, on the morning of that first Pentecost at about 9 o'clock, while they were gathered in that upper room, there was a sudden mighty rush of wind, and what looked like tongues of flame came to rest on the head of each one. And the disciples began to speak, and all those in the street below were able to understand 
what the disciples were saying, for they each heard the message in their own language. And this amazed, amazed the crowd, since they were from all corners of the known world. And the crowd included Gentiles and both native-born Jews, as well as those who would have converted later. And some even sneered that the disciples must be drunk on new wine. And as I've said before, I've always found this rather odd, because I've never known inebriation to bestow an ability to speak a foreign language. Um, drink too much and you'll you lose the ability to speak your own language. But nevertheless, Peter stood up to address the crowd. They were not drunk. This was, in fact, a fulfillment of what had been spoken through the prophet Joel centuries before. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Well, Peter continued to proclaim the gospel to the crowd, and he must have been very convincing, and the spirit must have been at work within Peter, because Acts tells us, that 3,000 people became Christians that day. And that was the day that the, that the church was born. Now the full title for the book of Acts, uh, where we read this story of Pentecost, is called the Acts of the Apostles. But the book could just as easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the moving, driving force behind everything that happens. And it's associated with the bestowing of both the spiritual gifts and with baptism. But the Gospel of John, however, emphasizes different aspects of the Holy Spirit. Now the passage from John that Wesley read earlier, that came from a, comes from a section of the Gospel that's called the Farewell Discourse. Now for several chapters, Jesus has given his disciples this last minute advice for how to go on functioning after he is gone. And much of what Jesus has to say is actually about the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus reassures the disciples that he will not leave them orphaned. After he's gone, he's going to send them the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Now the word that's translated advocate here is the Greek word paraclete. And depending on which translation or commentary you read, the word paraclete can be translated as advocate, counselor, comforter, companion, helper, advisor, strengthener, intercessor, protector, supporter, I've run out of, of uh, fingers here, uh, counselor, exhorter, or even defense attorney. Now I actually prefer the term counselor as a translation for paraclete because think about what the word counselor means in English. It can refer to someone to whom you, you uh, pour out your heart and who listens to you, who advises you, and who can leave you feeling comforted and strengthened. But the word counselor in English can also refer to an attorney, a counselor of law, who defends you and advocates for you. And therefore, I think counselor is the best word in English that I think comes closest to what was meant by the Greek word paraclete, even though the New Revised Standard Version does use the word advocate. So Jesus tells his disciples about the coming of this advocate, this counselor, 
ahead of time so that, so that when it happens, the disciples then will believe. It is even in the disciples' best interest, Jesus says, for him to leave them in order for the counselor to come. For the counselor is going to be able to expose them to all the truth there is about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will dwell with the disciples. It's going to be the Holy Spirit of the Father and the Son indwelling us and living with us, among us. And the Holy Spirit is going to enliven the church, the body of Christ, to be the conduit of God's continuing action and revelation in and to the world. Now this was music to the ears of many first century Christians because we know, we know now that Christ's presence continues to abide with us, but this was not always clear to first century Christians. Well, think about it. If you were a second or third generation Christian, you would hear all these wonderful stories from first generation Christians about the stories of Jesus, about Jesus' life and teachings that they were eyewitnesses to. And you just got to hear it second or third hand. But the coming of the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus' presence was not limited to only those people who got to interact with Jesus during his earthly ministry. All of us now can call on the experience of Jesus, the experience that we have had in our, in our lives here and now. And I think one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit is as the teacher of truth. One of the things that Jesus said to the disciples during this farewell discourse, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and remind you all that I have said to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, what this means exactly has been debated. It's been a subject of spirited debate. Does this mean that the counselor will only serve to remind us of what has already been revealed, or will the counsel reveal to us new truth beyond what Jesus has already taught us? The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that what he did as part of his crusade for equal rights for black Americans was to simply remind white Americans of what they already said they believed in. So think about what the first line is in our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now Martin Luther King led a movement that resulted in the passage of the Civil Rights Act. The Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson in 1776. The Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. Therefore, it took 188 years for this self-evident truth of the Declaration to actually make it into the laws of the land. So was this the result of the revelation of new truth or was it the reminder of old truth? 
Early in our nation's history, we fought a civil war over the issue of slavery. And many slaveholders defended the practice by quoting scripture. Because both the Old and New Testaments just assume the existence of slavery and even provide guidance for its practice. And nowhere in the Bible is slavery directly condemned. But abolitionists pointed to the overall message of scripture and its condemnation of oppression and its admonitions to love. And so they used this to argue that slavery was against God's will. Again, was this new truth or was it old truth? For centuries, the church limited the office of clergy to men only. And there are numerous Bible verses to which opponents of women's ordination can point that support their position. Several years ago, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth removed all of their female professors, even those with tenure, because the administration decided that it was unbiblical for women to be teaching men. And they could quote directly from scripture to defend their position. Now, in contrast, the United Methodist Church began fully ordaining women in 1957, and they had licensed local pastors, female licensed local pastors, uh, several decades even before then. And so the United Methodist Church, along with other denominations that ordained women, looked beyond those few isolated verses, and they pointed to the fuller message of Scripture, that in Christ there is no longer male and female. And they looked at the fact that women were listed as apostles in the Bible, apostles in the early church. So did the ordination of women come from new truth, or did it come from old truth? And the controversy that has rocked the United Methodist Church now for over 40 years is how to be in ministry to and with LGBTQ persons. Well, Trinity UMC, as well as the majority of the United Methodists in the United States, have decided to look beyond a few isolated Bible verses and practice full inclusion. Again, new truth or old truth? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, but it's also the spirit of prophecy. And we would do well to remember what prophecy and prophetic proclamation truly consists of. There's this misconception that biblical prophecy really just has to deal with telling the future. But if we go back and we read the Old Testament prophets, we'll find that declaring the future is only a very small part of what the prophets were up to. They served primarily as social critics who pointed out that ancient Israel and Judah were failing to live up to the law by oppressing the widow and the orphan and the stranger and engaging in deception and treachery and pursuing money above all else. To be a prophet is not to be a fortune teller. To be a prophet is to creatively interpret and relate scripture and revelation to contemporary and ever-changing situations as they unfold in history for the purposes of effecting reconciliation with God and neighbor and creation and for the coming of the kingdom of God. Prophecy is all about this mashup of old revelation and new interpretation. Remember what Jesus says then of the Holy Spirit. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
In other words, the disciples were simply not ready for all that needed to be said. And think about this. What if you tried to tell a teenager, say someone in a confirmation class, someone 13 years old, what if you tried to tell a 13-year-old all that he or she needed to hear about God to last them for the rest of their entire lifetime? They couldn't bear it. They wouldn't even be able to understand it. You can't tell a person who's 13 years old what that person needs to hear in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and beyond, all that they need to know. And that's why in the Methodist Church, by the way, confirmation is a repeatable rite. And along the same lines, Jesus couldn't tell first century disciples everything that they would need to know for subsequent centuries. They wouldn't have been able to bear it. They wouldn't have even been able to understand it. And so that's why God sent the Holy Spirit to continue to teach us. And it's one of the reasons the United Methodist Church has what we call the quadrilateral. The United Methodist Church, we look to four sources or criteria for theological reflection. We look to scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Now the ancient revelation of scripture has primacy, but we use these other three. We use tradition and experience and reason to interpret scripture anew for each generation. And we also acknowledge tradition, experience, reason as sources of ongoing revelation in their own right. And we Methodists, we have a slogan that's having a significant effect on many of us and one that I really, really like and probably many of you do as well. We love our slogan, open hearts, open minds, open doors. I've always thought that was brilliant. Whoever thought that up was brilliant. And I've also always loved the slogan that's used in the denomination, the United Church of Christ. Their slogan is, God is still speaking. God is still speaking the old truth in ever new ways so that we are constantly being continually renewed in faith and in truth. You could say that the Holy Spirit is both conservative and progressive. It conserves the ancient revelation contained in scripture and particularly in the sayings and teachings of Jesus. But it progressively pushes forward our interpretation of scripture so that we continually find that the Bible has something breathtakingly new to say. The Bible never gets old. In the 20th and the 21st century, the voice of the Bible has spoken in new ways about two very broad categories. The first category has been the ever-increasing witness to the equality of persons from all races and nations and ethnic groups. We're still learning this, by the way. We haven't learned this completely yet. But this has been a major way that the Spirit has been working in the church for the 20th and 21st century. And the second broad category is in the arena of gender and sexuality. As women have made great strides for full inclusion in society and life of the church, clergy women like to talk about shattering the stained glass ceiling. Also, it's a wonderful. You may notice, I'm, I, the camera can't see it, but I'm actually wearing red shoes today. <laughs> That's not just for Pentecost. That's also because the, the female clergy in the North Texas Conference 
have a tradition on the first day of annual conference, which is tomorrow, that we wear red shoes in support of uh, our, our women colleagues and for the women that are being ordained, because we always have ordination the evening of, the, of that first Monday of annual conference. So I'm breaking in my red shoes today to wear tomorrow. And I'll be going to uh, an ordination service where several young women will be ordained. And also two young people who are openly gay. These will be the first to be ordained since I was three years ago. A uh, young man and young woman. Um, Marcy Liptoy and Roy Atwood. Roy has had charges brought up against him by a fellow clergy person. It's not going to prevent his ordination because he's already been approved by the clergy. But this is a very distressing thing to happen. And so I told Roy that we'd be lifting him up later during our time of prayer. But I'm going to be there for that ordination. I'm going to be wearing my red shoes. And I'm going to be wearing not this stole, but the rainbow, the small rainbow stole that I found in my mother's closet after she died. And that I wore underneath my robe when I was ordained three years ago. So we see then the Holy Spirit in this ongoing struggle of the church to slowly open up to LGBTQ persons. And so this year Pentecost then is on this first Sunday in June, which is often now celebrated as Pride Sunday. And you can see the pride flags hanging from our altars or on our big altar there. Um, you can see here, this, this was my ordination stole that I wore when I was ordained that has the, the rainbow flame there. Um, and though it's taking far too long, as Theodore Parker said in the 19th century, he was a clergyman, and this uh, was quoted later by Martin Luther King to the point where Martin Luther King actually gets credited with it. But even though it's taking far too long, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. And I can see and feel how the Holy Spirit is working through the United Methodist Church to continue to open it up fully to all of God's children. So what will be the next arena where the spirit of truth will speak the ancient words in a new context? Well, it's hard to say, because I suspect that future generations will marvel that there is some self-evident truth that those of us here in the early 21st century to which we were completely blind. We don't see it now. But generations, they'll look back and they'll say, how could they not see that injustice that is so obvious to us now? So I have no doubt that there'll be truths of the Holy Spirit that unfortunately we are not ready yet to bear. Now I've had to venture a guess what this would be, and this is just a guess, but I suspect it might be about artificial intelligence. What if we someday were able to build a machine that possessed self-awareness and intelligence? So if a machine can possess a mind, does it also possess a soul? Who knows? I don't know. But I think it's possible that maybe someday in the future, Trinity may have a pastor who's a robot. What I do know is that looking back 
the breadth of the gospel seems to expand with each new generation. It never contracts. The parameters of who gets to be included in the people of God just keeps growing larger and larger. And so I can only assume that God's vision of the world that God so loves will just continue to expand from the big bang that was God's incarnation in Jesus Christ. So as Peter says, as he quotes the ancient prophet Joel, in the last days God's spirit will be poured out upon all flesh, male and female, slave and free, and the young shall see visions and the old shall dream dreams. So may the church hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Amen. And so now with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Action items for this week. Continue to pray for the ministry of this church that we will be able to reach out to those in our community that need to hear a word of God's inclusive love. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be uh, poured out upon our community until everyone is welcome at the table. And now receive this benediction. Go forth now as Pentecost people, filled with the Spirit, dreaming dreams and seeing visions of God's possibilities. Go to be surprised by the Spirit in all you do and everywhere that you go. Go claim your identity as Spirit-filled children of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11. You'll also find audio recordings of all of our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.